Chapter 9 of An Earthman on Venus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. Bradley Peters. An Earthman on Venus by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 9 The Rescue. The idea was for Yuri to return to Kupia, as that would make the Ant-Men less suspicious. Ever since the Department of Eugenics had changed their plans with respect to the Princess, Yuri had been carefully watched for fear that he would go do the obvious thing and try to return her to Kupia. In fact, although he had made up his mind many days ago to enlist my support, yet he had been so closely shadowed that it was only now that he had been able to make my acquaintance and snatch a few hurried words with me. And even now, every moment that we spent together rendered the danger of our detection just so much more imminent. On my way to Kupia, he said, I shall wait at the third gate, where the guard will be duly bribed to let you through if you should succeed in reaching it. Of course, the Formians will trust Lilla much more freely with Miles Cabot than they would with Prince Yuri, due to their intense desire to perpetrate the race of Minos so you will have plenty of opportunity to convey these plans to Lilla and to arrange for her flight. All the details have been carefully thought out. I will leave my Kirkul behind at the Kirkul at Watusa for you to use. One of the city gates opens directly from the Kirkul onto the main travelled highway, and the guard there is a henchman of mine, who has already been instructed to let you pass. I have even had the forethought to prepare a forged passport, which will get you and Lilla safely by the Antman, who might see fit to stop you and question you on the road. I assented to all these arrangements. How glad I was of an opportunity to be of service to Lilla. Yuri might be willing to take a chance with me as a rival, based on the well-known fact that the princess had greeted me with horror at our first meeting, and had with difficulty been induced to associate with me, even after my triumphant return from Mooney with my means for radio communication. But Yuri did not know how splendidly we had been getting along together during the past few sinks, and I thought it just as well not to tell him. Here was a chance to do a favor for Princess Lilla, and at the same time, free myself from my aunt captors. So I assured Yuri that I would cooperate to the utmost. We patted each other's cheeks to bind the bargain, and then, he first, and I a few minutes later, sneaked out of the room without either of us being observed. I hastened to the quarters of the princess and told her the entire plan, to which she gladly agreed. A few nights later, it was an easy matter for Lilla and me to meet by prearrangement at the city Kirkwall. With my false antenna and artificial wings, I looked very much like a Kupian as it was, and with the addition of the automobile goggles, which the Kirkwallu, garage keeper, supplied me, I would have been willing to challenge anyone to tell me from the genuine article. Yuri's Kirkwall was very similar to the Ant-Man's Kirkwall, in which I had returned from my ill-fated bee hunt, but it was smaller and provided with seats very much like those of an earthly automobile. This was a great relief, as it was very tiring to drive a Kirkwall standing up, as is the habit among the Ant-Men. We settled ourselves in the car, thanked the attendant, and soon were on the open road headed for the Kupian boundary and freedom. Thus far our plans had been carried out like clockwork, and yet this fact made it seem all the more likely that there was trouble ahead. I was filled with suspense and excitement, and evidently my companion was under much the same strain, for she clung to my left arm with both her little hands. I could feel her heart beating heavily and rapidly against my side, and every now and then she would shiver, although the night was warm. 
I longed to draw her to me and comfort her, but the Kirkwall demanded all of my attention, and besides, she was a princess of the royal house of Cupia, and I... why, I was merely an educated animal. Yet, her intimate presence thrilled me, and her confiding trust gave me courage to face any dangers. No longer was she the haughty regal princess. She was now merely a very frightened little girl, and manlike, I gloried in my protective strength. It was a long time since I had taken an automobile ride with a girl. The night was warm and moist and fragrant, as are all nights on Poros. I had not been a drinking man on Earth, and on the planet Venus I have never chewed the sapphire root. But I can never wish for a more intoxicating and exhilarating experience than that ride through the warm, fragrant, velvet blackness of the Peruvian night, with my princess snuggled close at my side. There wasn't much opportunity for conversation, however, for I was such a novice with these machines that I had to keep pretty much of my entire attention on the control levers and on the road ahead. All went nicely, until at a turn of the road I saw a foreman standing ahead of me, holding up one paw at the signal for us to stop. So I halted the Kirkwall. Who are you? he asked. But I had already prepared the replies for such an expected catechism, and so answered readily enough. We are Jodek and Janek, students at the University of Mooney, now bound for the Royal University of Kupia. Jodek and Janek, being two very common names on Poros, like Smith and Jones on the earth. This road does not run from Mooney, said the sentinel, but rather from Ratusa. And I know that there are no Kupians at Watusa. Then that very piece of knowledge of yours, I countered, should convince you that we are not from Watusa. As a matter of fact, we are from Saltona, which was the name of the farming village where I had hunted the whistling bees, where we were sent by the university authorities to study a new breed of green cows, which has been produced there. We left Saltona early this morning and came through Watusa about an hour ago. See, here is our pass and I showed him an official Formian pass signed by one of the Council of Twelve, and authorizing Jodek and Janek, with one Kirkwall and their baggage, to leave the country by the third gate. So far as I could see, there was not the slightest flaw in my story, nor even anything to arouse his suspicion. But evidently the Ant-Man thought differently, for he proceeded to question me in detail. Whose Kirkwall is that? This is a question which I had not expected. It suddenly occurred to me that as this was Yuri's Kirkwall, it might bear some identifying royal insignia, which I had not noticed. And yet it would probably be unwise to admit that it was his, for such an admission might suggest to an intelligent sleuthhound such as my inquisitor seemed to be, that my companion might be the Princess Lilla. What seemed a happy inspiration came to mind, and I answered, This Kirkwall belongs to Prince Toron of Kupia, now assigned to the same department in which we have been studying at Mooney. And what department may that be? Agriculture, of course. Is that how you came to be studying the cows? Yes. I heard Lilla gasp and felt her hands tighten convulsively on my arm. Evidently, I had made some misplay. Several more questions he asked, at which I got more and more rattled. Then abruptly he said, There is something wrong here. For some unaccountable reason... I suspected you from the first, and evidently my suspicions were correct. Your passport is invalid. It is dated three days ago, and purports to be signed by number 340-7-11. Yet, 
he ceased to be a member of the Imperial Council over a sanctum ago. Then this is not the Kirkle to which I have been accustomed as Prince Torrance. You see, I am recently from Mooney myself. Prince Toran is assigned to the electrical and not the agricultural department. And anyhow, they don't teach about cows under the head of agriculture. Accordingly, your entire story breaks down, and I shall be compelled to hold you until I can notify my superiors. You see... I saw all right, and I didn't intend to permit him to finish his harangue. So while his attention was still directed upon his own good opinion of himself as a detective, I threw the car into full speed ahead, thus putting an end to the sentry's conversation. In fact, it nearly put an end to the sentry himself. But instead of having sense enough to run him down, I instinctively stared around him. Of course, he immediately gave the alarm, and soon Lilla informed me that she could see the lights of a pursuing Kirkwall behind us on the road. Then I began to have difficulty with the controls of the car. It seemed to wobble uncertainly, although it did not decrease its speed. Do you understand these machines? I asked. Yes, she replied. I have frequently driven one. What seems to be the matter with it now? She thought a moment intently, and then answered. It seems to me that the gyroscopes are slowing down. If this be so, we must come to a stop directly, or the Kirkwall will overturn. I decided to take her advice, and so, stopping the Kirkwall as quickly as possible, we each seized a small spotlight with which the car was equipped and struck off into the dense woods that lined the road. A few moments later, I heard the pursuing car crash into our deserted one. I had hoped that my maneuver might effectively wreck our pursuers, but apparently it did not do so, for soon I heard the sounds of ant-men following us through the wood. As we were not using our lights, they could not follow us by sight. And, as we were not talking, they could not follow us by sound. For, of course, they could hear nothing but radiations from our antenna, regardless of how we crashed through the underbrush. Luckily, I thought of this and so did not waste any time in trying to be noiseless. The sound of the Ant-Man grew fainter and fainter behind us, until suddenly we stumbled into a network of ropes. It was an old and stale spider's web. Immediately a bright idea occurred to me, and, flashing on my light, I hunted for and found the spider's cave and into it I led the princess. The tunnel of the spider was about four feet in diameter. I crawled ahead on my hands and knees, and the princess followed me. They'll never think to look for us in a deserted spider nest, said I in a low voice, and was just about to add some more reassuring words when Lilla broke in with, Quick, Miles, there's something following us. Get behind me, I cautioned as I hurriedly wheeled and crawled past her. True, something was following us down the passage. I switched on my flashlight and found myself face to face with a huge spider. So, the nest had not been deserted after all. The spider steadily approached. I held my ground, and Lilla cowered behind me. One touch of his horrid spit meant certain death, as I well knew. And yet, how could I combat him? At least I could die fighting. And when he had killed us both, there was a the satisfaction of knowing that Yuri would never learn what had become of us and would always picture us together somewhere, safe from his clutches. And who knows? But perhaps he would be right, if God provided the same heaven for both Koopians and Earth folk. All these thoughts ran through my head in much less time than it takes to set them down, and then I prepared to defend myself, or rather to defend the beautiful creature who depended upon me. I had no weapon. I did not even have anything to use for a weapon, except the folding umbrella which hung at my side. These umbrellas are 
of a very light but strong construction. The ribs and handle are made of alloy steel of a great springiness. The covering is remarkable opaque silk cloth. When open, they are about four feet in diameter and closely resembled an ordinary parasol such as we have on earth. But when closed, they are scarcely larger than a rolled up copy of a magazine. Accordingly, in the folding condition in which it hung at my side, it was not likely to prove of much value for defensive purposes. So I endeavored to extend it to its full length, and had to open it first in order to do so. The opened umbrella entirely filled the tunnel, with its point toward the spider and its handle towards me. In an instant, I realized that I had effectively blocked the way against my adversary. The umbrella, although not much good as a sword, might prove quite valuable as a shield. And so it turned out. The spider hurled himself against it, rending the silk cover, but driving the ends of the ribs firmly into the walls of the passageway. The spring steel proved strong enough to withstand his onslaught, so Lilla and I withdrew out of reach of his legs and waited further developments. We had not long to wait, for soon we heard the radiations of Ant-Man outside the entrance. He must have gone in here, said one, for it is here that I saw their lights flash and heard the scream. A light appeared at the opening, and I could see that the spider had turned around and was now facing the other way. Evidently our pursuers could see this, too, for one of them remarked, The spider has got them cooped up in there. Come, you keep his attention diverted, while we go around behind and dig them out. I seized Lola by the hand. Come on, I whispered. I don't know where this tunnel leads to, but let us at least go down it as far as possible and perhaps barricade ourselves with your umbrella at the bottom. So we resumed our crawl. The way seemed endless, but the further we went, the more my spirits brightened. Princess, I said, for he seems to be a wild species, and not the domestic kind which the Formians keep to guard their herds of aphids. Or, if they get by the spider, they may hesitate to crawl through a dark tunnel. Come on. The air smelled stale and musty, but at last, to our surprise, began to get fresh again, and then the ground felt rough under my knees. A twig snapped, and I found that I could stand erect. We were out in the woods again, and no Formian pursuers within sight or earshot. Close behind the exit was a thicket of tartan bushes, that plant with the large heart-shaped leaf so beloved of the purple grasshoppers. The safest place for us, I whispered. We'll be right here by the mouth of the tunnel. If they follow us through, they will never think to look for us close at hand, and the thickness of the foliage will prevent their discovering us accidentally. So together we plunged into the center of this bower of hearts. Then we lay down and listened. Presently, we heard voices at the mouth of the tunnel, and I heard the crashing of the ants in the underbrush. But so thick was our leafy covering that we could not catch even a glimmer of their spotlights. Their voices became fainter and fainter in the distance, and, at last, we knew we were safe, at least for this night. But, as our conversations died away, another sound came to our antenna. The distant howl of a woofus, answered from another quarter by the cry of his mate. Lilla shuddered at my side as we listened to this new menace grow nearer and nearer. But, at last, this too died away, and when my straining ears could no longer catch the slightest sound of it, I was surprised to find that I was holding the princess clasped tightly in both my arms. She too noticed where she was, and yet made no effort to draw away. I was so frightened, Miles, she said softly. You will take care of me, won't you, dear? For answer... I held her close. She heaved a little sigh, and, like a tired baby, nestled down to sleep in my arms. And thus, all through the perfumed, tropical night, I held and watched over the beautiful creature, 
who had made life on Poros mean more to me than it had ever meant on earth. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, I thought, for she is the princess royal of all Cupia, and you, for all that the professors have decided, may not even be human. The fairy orchestra of the wood grasshoppers played its sweetest wind-bell tunes, which earthly ears alone could hear. Delicate fragrances crept in on an occasional breeze. The night was velvet soft, and in my arms lay sweetly breathing in perfect peace and trust, the dearest being any world could hold. Thus we lay in our bower of leafy hearts, until the invisible sun rose over Poros the next morning. When Lilla finally awakened, it was with the sweet, dewy smile of a little child. I kissed her lightly on the cheek, and she smiled again, and said, You are very good to me, Miles Cabot. Better than I deserve, who treated you so. It is morning, my princess, said I, and we must be on our way. She gave a slight shudder. That is so, she regally replied. I am a princess. The spell was broken, and we arose, and set out together through the wood, traveling due west. For we had left the road on the east side the night before, and this way I had hoped to reach the road again and continue along it to the border. We were able to tell the points of the compass in the early morning light, owing to the pinkness of the eastern sky and the darkness of the western. Reaching the road in safety, we set out northward along it, I, blessing my keen sense of hearing, which enabled me to keep a keen ear out for approaching Kirkwalls, each one of which we dodged by hiding in the woods at the side of the road. In this manner, we kept on without further adventure for the entire day, slaking our thirst at an occasional brook, and staving off hunger by means of certain edible plants with which the princess was well acquainted. At last, on topping a slight rise, we saw before us a long wall, stretching away out of sight into the distance to both the right and left. Is this the pale of which I have heard so much? I asked. It is, Lilla replied, and beyond it lies Cupia, and safety. Look, directly before us at the foot of the hill is the third gate. With a cry of joy, we rushed down the hill hand in hand together. Sure enough, there stood Yuri, talking with the Cupian sentinel. Just beyond the gate stood a Kirkwall. Yuri greeted the princess respectfully, and assisted her into the car, the sentinel offering no objection. But as I sought to follow her, the sentinel stopped before me and drew a short broadsword, which he held menacingly in his hand. Yuri, I called. This guard won't let me pass. Please tell him that it's all right. Yuri turned around in his seat in the car, and gradually a mocking smile spread over his features. Then he spoke to the sentinel. I don't know this fellow, he declared. Probably he is an escaped Kupian slave. You had better arrest him. The princess shrieked. Yuri's car shot ahead, and they disappeared northward, leaving me staring after them with mouth agape. Perhaps I could have argued it out, or even fought it out with my bare hands with a Cupian sentinel. But at that moment, a Formian sentinel emerged from the guardhouse at the gate to take his tour of duty. Together, the pair seized and shackled me and placed me in a cell. Thus, just as my hopes had been highest, they were dashed to the ground. Here I was alone, in chains, still in Formia, awaiting transportation to the south again, while my beloved, free, was speeding northward with my deceitful rival. End of chapter 9. Recording by M. Bradley Peters.